Hello and welcome to this week's Propcast. We're talking about senior living and I'm joined today by Karen Donoghue, who's head of the senior living and healthcare team at Savills and Anna Barrett, who's the boss at Birchgrove, which is a developer and operator of senior living schemes. Welcome both of you. It's good to see you both in person. And as we head towards Christmas, the winter months are always a big backdrop for talking about the elderly in this country and all of the low quality housing that many thousands of people very sadly have to endure. But you are both doing something about it, which is fantastic. Honor, you and I met a few months back at a, was it a ULI conference. In the Barbican. In the Barbican, yeah, probably one of the most hateful venues for conferences out there just of how badly planned this i really find it dreadful but it was a great conference and i was picking a fight with you i think over the ability of later living to well it wasn't really over the ability of later living to help free up family housing the point i was making at the time which we'll come into in this podcast was whether planners care about it but i'm interested just to start with for listeners that might not be familiar with birch grove i'm interested in how you're seeing the markets you've actually delivered and exited a couple of projects to mng you've got a couple under development at the minute and you're one of the few businesses that's actually making senior living work so tell us how you're doing that and explain how you came into this market because you've had a bit of an interesting and creative career background it doesn't necessarily lead to property development no but you do need creativity don't you to make things happen i came from a background of news and sport in television running an agency which i then sold to octopus and i worked with octopus for a number of years and loved working with octopus And they had a slightly struggling portfolio asset, which was senior living, and they asked me to drive down the M4 and take a look, which I did very reluctantly because I thought I don't have anything in common with old people. And at the end of the afternoon, I just wanted a total career change because the company of old people is adorable. I love spending time with them. And so drove back up the M4, did an MBO within two weeks and moved straight over to senior living. And what then happened to that business? Still thriving. Rangeford is the for sale model. And it has three developments open, I think, sold out on that first one that I started at. They run an amazing business, but it is the for sale business. And when I would sit in appointments with older people, you'd meet an 83-year-old widow and she'd say something like, oh, God, Honor, it's amazing. I love what you're doing here, but I think I've left it too late. Or I just can't face doing this without my husband who's now dead. Or it's such a big step to make this capital transaction. And so she would walk back down the pathway back to her underoccupied four-bedroom palace where she lives on her own. And you know that you've lost her, but you've lost her for a really good reason. Mm. And so Bridges Fund Management approached me while I was with Octopus and said, we believe the answer for the 83-year-old widow is the rental model. She doesn't have to sell her home under pressure. She can move in with you for a couple of months. If she doesn't like what you do, she can move back. If she loves what you can do, she puts the house on the market. She doesn't sell under pressure. She waits to get the offer that she wants. There's just a whole lot less barrier to entry. And so I think I had this sort of moment where I went, oh, that's how I get the 83-year-old woman. It's not for everybody renting. If you're a 70-year-old and you're in a couple, buying an orderly apartment will be the best thing you ever do because it will appreciate, you will live longer, it'll give you a whole new lease of life. And that Clapham scheme I've got is pretty awesome. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? And sometimes people trot in there and have a cup of tea and they don't even know they're having a cup of tea in an old people home. Mm. So I think that's a really fantastic thing to do. But if you're 85, spending 800 grand on a retirement apartment with a 30% exit fee 
is not necessarily right for you. And the X, if you just explain that in plain English, that's a big issue of contention in the market. So it's the fee you pay when you die, which essentially goes to, well, it's meant to go towards the services Mm. and the upkeep. It's actually not as contentious for the punter. They don't mind it. They understand that swimming pool. It's the source of much of the reputational. I don't know. I think our reputational challenge that we have in our market is when you can't sell on your apartment and you are left with an apartment and a service charge that you just cannot cauterize and families are paying service charge for 18 months after mum has died yeah, that's, that's the reputational that's, that's a fair amount of stuff recently, it's not the it? exit fee the exit fee pays for that swimming pool to be relined mm. every seven years but it's a reputational issue i believe in that people don't understand it on one side and also it's something that's used to whip the industry it's a stick that's used to it beat. is a stick i think you know what's really relevant is the investors They are uncomfortable, some of them, and Karen will know more, with the potential reputational challenge of owning an exit fee Mm. in that my big payday is the day that you die. And they're uncomfortable with that. Whereas in the rental model, obviously, the longer you live, the happier the investors are. So so bridges are sitting there on it or they're in until exit? So I'm in a closed-end fund. I've got seven years to turn these around. I'm in three funds with them. We've got nine developments so, Bridges have been an early pioneer in Build to Rent through their partnership with Hub, yeah. investing with the Squarestone boys in that business and in the number of their schemes. So, But I'm their new, more shiny toy. Well, they I, love I, me more. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure. That, but let's come on, Karen Donoghue, let's come on to the point on how to make the funding work. Because I think that's the issue. I think we've had a few podcasts over the years on this with numbers of different people from all leaf from LNG talking about the sector. And I think the need is very well determined. People understand that we've got a massive problem of aging populations across the developed world. England, like a lot of Western countries, has a structural undersupply of homes. But those issues, and Honor mentioned some of them, the reputational issues of people paying when they're getting dug under the ground, doesn't always go down quite so well with branded insurance codes. Where are you able to make it work for funders? I mean, I think, as you said, the structural demand drivers aren't the issue in terms of the growth of the sector. I think there is the reputational risk and the question mark around that deferred management fee, especially how it's valued in the UK, because I think no one has actually transacted on that income stream like they have done in Australia, where it's much more prevalent. But I would also say that outside of that, I think that majority of investment in the space has been long-term capital. When you think about the long-term nature of the business, it takes 12 to 15 years to really be in a position where you're stabilizing those income streams. And so it's meant that there are less capital providers that can actually access the sector as a result of that. Because if you have a closed-ended fund of seven to 10 years, you will never get to a point where that deferred management fee is stabilized and of the value. So it's a bit of chicken and egg. Yeah. But I suppose if we look at parallel sectors in residential, and obviously at Savills, you work across everything, right? And in your previous role at Cushman's, you did the same. But given, particularly if you take Honours model with Birchgrove, it's obviously a rental model, so it's about throwing off consistent cash. Why does a lack of comparables when you exit? Maybe if you can explain this in plain English to listeners, because the point you're making is that no other people at scale have sold stuff, therefore we can't price it. But if you've got a rental model that's throwing off cash, why can't you just value the business on its cash flow? 
Well, I think the issue is there haven't been scalable rental models in the UK, whereas having worked in the US seniors market, where about 85% of that market is rented stock, it's a much more mature sector there. Especially but why can't an investor side? that maybe have invested in one of those North American schemes come over here and go, okay, right, well, we price this cash flow at X, we'll maybe price this at X plus 50, 100 bips for additional risk, and that's where we'll line up. And, you know, we've seen that if you think about multifamily and build to rent where you've got big investors across the board from the axes to the macquarries all of which have often done that in a different jurisdiction yeah so i think there's no lack of interest from the u.s investors who would love to find opportunities in the rental space i think there's a massive lack of operators that are actually doing that so majority of the market outside of Birch Grove, which is obviously honors business, Arians, which is super luxury, central London based, and most recently, Life Story, which has pivoted their entire business model from being a for sale model to a rental model. There really is no one doing it at scale. So again, you have US investors that would love to do the same thing that they're doing across their funds in the US, but they don't have any operators that can scale at that level. Who in the States is worth looking at? If you had to pick three companies of people to Google search that are what good looks like, who are they? I think the US market, there are thousands of operators. I mean, pick it's three. such a big... three. <laughs> um, there's a lot. I mean, one of the key clients that I worked with when I was there, which is a Northeastern operator, is called LCB Senior Living. So many of the operators over time there, there are a number of large-scale national operators that... I think didn't do so well because they were quite broad. And you've seen that actually the more localized operators that focused on the Northeast or the West Coast were much more successful in the markets that they're in. But I would say LCB is a great Northeastern operator, very well known. Merrill Gardens is more West Coast, but can be elsewhere. Those would be kind of two that I can name off the top of my head. Mm. And you're from Boston originally, although you've got a New York accent. What's the vibe like where you're from in this? Is this just an accepted part of from both from a consumer perspective and from an investor perspective, it sounds like this is just another core market. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think people view senior housing as one of the major asset classes like you would do residential or retail. There are specific funds that are raised on the basis of specific teams that only invest in senior housing. And I also think from a retiree's perspective, a resident's perspective, it's very well trodden. People are excited about retiring. I think they know what the product is. They understand what they're walking into and they're actually excited to move in as kind of a next stage in their life. Whereas I think in the UK, from a resident base, and again, Honor would probably be better suited to talk about this through her marketing at Birch Grove, but you have people who automatically assume it's a care home. But at the end of the day, you're not moving into a care home. It's very different to that. It's aspirational. It's very much around community. And I think people haven't, in the UK specifically, from a cultural perspective, haven't really understood what it is. And I think that's quite different to the US. Honor, is that because the schemes here have been badly marketed and have been the wrong product? Or is it the fault of the consumer in just not seeing the vision? It's nobody's fault. So we go to the US once a year to steal good ideas. So we've done recently Texas. And you go to a community where on their 65th birthday, people will join the wait list. I say to Karen, how long is it going to take for our market to get to the point where on your 65th birthday, that's the first thing you do in the morning? We're just underachievers, Andy. And I think actually... At the Barbican, that's what you and I are raring about. I think you were underwhelmed by our scale. And if I'm totally honest, I don't think I've actually admitted this to anybody. 
So we started Birch Cove in 2017. By 2027, we'll have a thousand units. 10 years of my life to get a thousand units. I mean, that is underachieving, isn't it? That's extraordinary that if I was built to rent, I would have done 40,000 units by now. If you were built to rent, you've issued a press release saying you're raising a billion pound fund with a pledge to build 20,000 units. I know because I've made quite a lot of money doing those over the years and very few of it has been delivered. So I wouldn't beat yourself up. I think there's a lot of people that have made big, big claims and that probably haven't delivered. But the point you're making is it's bloody difficult, right? I'd like to understand... What do people listening to this need to do to move it forward? Because if part of what Karen's saying is that the culture is very different, and we know that, right? There's always this English psyche mm, about... I think I'll resist that. I think that an older person living in Boston can feel loneliness in the same way that you can feel loneliness in Boston, UK. So I reject that culturally we can't accept it. What I do know is that when I'm sitting in a sales appointment with a prospect and they tell me that they've already been to see an orderly, I know one of us is going to nail that customer because they've been and they've seen the best. They've seen how amazing their life can be. So they're going to buy or they're going to rent. If I live in an area where there's no competition, everyone's just thinking about care homes because they've never seen it done properly. Yeah. Well, it's not that. Again, I think your biggest competitor isn't care. Your biggest competitor is people staying in their own home because culturally that is what we say to people in this country. We say, look, we want people to not feel like they need to go into a care home we want people to be able to use technology. And there is that fear of change that obviously grows as you get older. In some cases, people would argue that. I don't debate that staying at home is actually, I mean, if you can stay at home, stay at home. You know, sometimes the Americans come over and they've got with this thing called active adult, which is the over 55s. I'm like, you should still be at work. You're still living in a C3 house with your children upstairs. Like, why the hell do you need a product? It's extraordinary that you guys are inventing that. But honestly, don't move until you need to. And is that part of the issue? What do you think? As an American over here, you've been here for five years? Yep, five years. Your husband's British or? Also American. Also American. <laughs> so two immigrants in one household. Yep. Don't tell our current government. They'll boot you out. <laughs> Culturally, what's your view? I mean, are we too rigid? Are we too stuck in our ways in this country? What are the things that would break some of the cultural barriers? Because an investor ultimately is going to look at those things as risks, right? They're going to look at the fact that government ministers they help drive this culture of people should stay at home and anything like this is bad because it's developers making money off the old people and all of that sort of nonsense i don't think it's cultural that people won't move into a retirement community i think they just don't there aren't enough of them for them to really understand what the product is so like honor said it's one of those scenarios that if there is no retirement community everyone just assumes they're going to go to a care home and at the end of the day no one is excited to move into a care home it's not something that people want to do and so i think as more product is delivered and people understand. And it's often your residents are your biggest advocate. So you have the residents who are inviting their friends over for a lunch or a coffee. And then before you know it, all the friends live in the community. And you saw that in the US too. I mean, people would bring their friends in and then all of a sudden all of them, it's like student accommodation all over again, where you have all of your best friends living in the same place and it becomes quite a community. Do I think Lots it's... Lots of weed smoking rooftop parties. <laughs> Let's hope not, but maybe. Well, <laughs> you would, whatever it takes. You would know. <laughs> in certain states of North America, of course, only certain states, <laughs> can't remember which ones. <laughs> Anna, what have been some of the challenges getting these businesses off the ground? So, in, for example, the challenge that many cite is the complexity around providing care and support for people with obviously a different array of health issues as they get older. Mm. How is that catered for within your business presently? 
It's interesting, Andy. We made a fortuitous decision six years ago, which in hindsight looks brilliant, but at the time was a 50-50 flip of a coin and we chose not to provide our own care. And the two assets that we've exited to M&G, if I chat to them now, they would say, you know, we wouldn't have bought those assets if you were providing the care. There is just so much risk about it. But this is a little bit why I do these podcasts, Andy. I feel like we need more operators. We all need more scale. I need more competition because I need to drive my yield down. And the BTR guys and the student guys are sitting there on the outside thinking that what we do is difficult. And it's not. It's exactly the same. We're still signing for Amazon parcels. It's a slightly higher staff to resident ratio. Absolutely. But it's not rocket science. And I just do need them to pile in because until you've been to have a cup of tea with a girlfriend who lives in an assisted living development, you're not going to want to move. But when you've done it, you move. I also think there's a misconception around what care means in this setting. So like domiciliary care is, yes, you can get medication management, et cetera, but you're really helping people with, this is like in a U.S. context, activities of daily living. So with dressing, cleaning, cooking, those types of things, when you say care, it's not medicinal care, it's services or hospitality-led services. Yeah, I, I, I that's that what I was a, about to ask. It's about how you define care and what the different layers on the staircase are so how do you break them down in the states because you were basically just doing it but i'm interested how you bucket them between the sort of generic residential things like picking up an amazon parcel cleaning the apartment which is whether you're in student or multi-family you're going to have those requirements but there are obviously other things that are a stage up providing medication and there's obviously more invasive stuff like helping someone dress which is you know not quite as invasive as giving someone an injection but it's more invasive than giving someone a parcel yeah i mean i think that operators like birch grove can manage the parcel management and having staff 24 7 on site and having activities to get people physically and mentally more active than they probably would have been at home and that's kind of the operator's job i think when it comes to domiciliary care what a lot of the, and these are all usually CQC registered, but they will be third party to what Honor is offering. CQC is the CQC is the body that registers any care, care provider. Yeah, yeah, the Care Quality Commission, and so it can go anything from again activities of daily living, which may be somebody coming in to cook you a meal, or somebody coming in to do housekeeping, as you say or somebody coming in to help you shower if you have mobility issues, which again, seems like something that is maybe to somebody who doesn't know the sector is like high up the acuity spectrum. But actually, if you're a female who lives on your own and you just need a little help getting in out of the shower and you don't want to fall or your family's worried about that, you might have somebody come in just to help you do that a few times a week. And that's to keep people independent longer. That's the point. And you're not sitting in a nursing bed to do that. And you don't need to sit in a 24-7 nursing setting in order to get that help, which is historically in the UK, what has been the only option for people. You live at home or you live in a nursing home yeah, where you have 24-7 care, where you have a nursing bed, where you have a very tiny room, where you have three meals a day. But most of those people actually don't need that level of care. So how do you draw the line? What is a service that Birch Grove would provide? What is a service that you're outsourced support provide and what's the rationale for keeping that separate so it's quite expensive to live with us it's like maybe 70 grand a year to live with us but only 22 percent of our residents have cqc regulated care at any point so it's like what are these other 75 percent of people paying for and it's things like and if you came down in the morning and i'd say to you andy you don't kind of look yourself and you might say oh it's the anniversary of my wife's death 
for the 40 minutes that I'll then spend with you while you tell me stories of your wife. For us, that's care with a small C. That's what we do. That's why there's 15 members of staff. I'm absolutely not allowed to come and cut your fingernails or help you wash your hair. Everybody understands that. But the bit that's going to make you live longer is somebody noticing when you're having a shitty day and just giving you time to chat it through. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that's the same in any area of life. I mean, whether that's in hospital care or in residential. But how does it work then on a business level with the provision of the regulated care? So the CQC bit obviously requires you to subcontract with a provider of those services. Yeah, actually, the customer contracts with the CQC regulated so care. So that zero rates the risk from your perspective? Yeah, I will signpost to who I think is the best carer, but they will contract directly. That is not standard. Quite a lot of our industry, they're running their own care provider. Yeah, a lot of them have it in-house, but I do think to Honor's point to get your more resi student investors looking at the space because many of them are very worried about that reputational CQC registered risk that comes with that. So if you can separate that out, you look at it as virtually a residential-led product, which is what it is for older people. It's built to rent for older people is what Birch Grove provides. And what I want to know, Andy, you might know the answer. Why don't I get a built to rent yield? Because I guess in this market here, in the same as... I suppose the US would have been 30, 40 years ago. There's a level of newness to it, which I think pushes that out. I mean, when Build to Rent began to emerge 10, 11 years ago, I was working with Harbin Bridges and M3 Capital, Washington State Investment Board, who are the funders of that and Essential Living. And then I was part of setting up Modo with Apache in 2015 and another great business. And I think in each of those instances, I remember the early days of putting together the decks just making up the numbers in some instances because there weren't any comparables in the market. Nothing had traded and the concept of a brand premium in rentals was totally alien to a market that had no brands other than really Unite or Granger. Which... So was it scale or time? If you're forecasting me, I'm at the bottom of that hockey stick built around for old people. I think it's both. I think there's a level of acceptance. People get comfortable with acceptance, they get comfortable of seeing stuff again and again and again in the market. They get comfortable once things are recognised by different investors. And I remember working with Alex Greaves at MG when he went into MG and I was working with him on that investor narrative for the first year of that business, using some of the knowledge I'd picked up in my life before the BPF. And I think what the market has done in the wider residential sphere is look at the prevalence of capital there. They've looked at, obviously, the trades that have occurred. And they're just taking a view, aren't they? Taking a view, well, if it's good enough for M&G, for Goldman's, for Blackstone, whoever, it's good enough for them and their due deal, then it's good enough for me. And that- That's what I think. When do you think my yield's going to become the same? <laughs> I mean, I think right now, because any investor looks at themselves as the first mover, especially in the rental space, they are going to have a yield premium for that. But I guess if you flip that on its head a little bit, it's also a very interesting IC story. If we as a group can't access built rent because it's too competitive from a yield perspective or because the amount of capital that's chasing that space, I think there's a really good narrative around the fact that you are a first mover, unfortunately, as the kind of preeminent rental operator in the space. But I think that will change over time. So right now you are getting a premium to residential. Do I agree with it? Maybe not. I don't think that the risk is higher for a Birch Grove than it is for a traditional residential scheme. And I also think there's a lot of capital looking to access the kind of demographic trends that are coming. Everyone understands that point. They want access to it, but they don't want the registered risk that comes with the care home. So how do you access the demographic trends that we all know are coming and are in the process of the baby boomer generation aging 
without the inherent risk of a CQC registered entity. And the, the, I guess, response to that is this kind of independent living sector. However, I think that because it hasn't been transacted, you are the first mover. People are putting a premium on that. But I think that will tighten over time, though there still is a differential between yields in multifamily in the U.S. and independent living in the U.S. Yeah, it's probably 50 to 75 basis points at least. So there will always be a premium, but will that tighten over time? I think yes. I mean, there simply is a greater level of risk to it because more people are likely to die in these buildings. You know, regardless of anything, that's just a simple matter of fact, isn't it? People dying with us is part of the promise. If we're doing our jobs properly, 80% of you will die in your beds. You won't have to go to the NHS. And is that, again, coming back to the bucket of culture barriers, is that one of the things that, I mean, death is still a taboo in this country? Actually, I think the older you get, the more you realise you can have a good death if you plan for it. So let's not be squeamish. Let's talk about what you want. Who do you want holding your hand? How so do you I plan to die at 27. And like most things in life, I underachieved. <laughs> you're not a rock star. You won't think <laughs> you're a rock star, but you're not Amy Winehouse. <laughs> but seriously, though, I think... There is that point there. And I think, again, it does come back to the way, both in terms of consumers and in terms of investors, is marketing. I think the investor marketing has been poor. I think the consumer marketing as the sector has been poor. And that is why a large number of both audiences just don't really understand it. I would also say, though, the tenant base, though you say that, yes, they die, but they're much stickier tenant base than in traditional residential. Well, when they die, they can't get out of bed. That's well, why. <laughs> That wasn't we're, what you meant, right? We're I, five and a half years out of our yeah, tenant. I mean that people are staying there for five, six, seven years, and hopefully that will continue to evolve. But in residential, you're making a lot of your profit on the churn of the annual leases, right? When people move out and you get a higher rent and that drives profitability. But at the end of the day, you have a tenant base that is very wealthy, that always pays. So you have no bad debt. They've never pushed back, at least from my understanding, on any rental increases that have gone through the business. And they want to stay there. And they stay there for five to seven years, let's say. So I guess even though your demand pool is smaller than it would be in the residential space, you have a very different tenant that you know will always pay and will be there for an extended period of time. So you're not reletting every year. From an perspective, that should act as a counterweight to the perceived risk of health and reputation issues? I would say more of the smaller demand pool rather than health and reputational issues. I think when you have the CQC registered entity externally, it is virtually a residential product. So there isn't that risk. And I think that continues to be priced in and it will be again, I think more so because it's first mover advantage, but I think that will tighten over time. And on a, what was it that enabled Bridges to come in where other funders haven't? Are we allowed to say big kahunas? Yeah. I mean, they took a hell of a risk on us. They'd made a lot of money out of care homes, but as a social impact fund, as Karen says, they were really aware that nobody aspires to get into a care home. So they're kind of building a product that doesn't have as much social impact. Their ambition was how do you keep people out of the care home? So maybe it was the social impact that was encouraging them to take that risk because they wanted to build a product that people really aspired to. Mm. They... Definitely had big kahunas. But that's, again, that's another cultural thing, isn't it? We see care homes as a sort of destination. That's a bit like we do with hospitals. We assume everyone, when they're sick, goes to hospitals rather than taking a slightly more progressive view, which is actually the hospital is the last place you should go. And if you've got a problem, try and get it fixed locally first. You don't go to hospital and contract some horrible infection. Mm. You know, you were asking about, like, why is it more 
operationally intensive. My team on site, they spend a lot of time badgering the NHS on the phone trying to get Margaret back out because an older person can go into the NHS and then you just get pushed around this amorphous mass of you don't have any possessions with you, you haven't got a mobile phone child. It's like a nightmare. And our job is to get you back out of that. It's really interesting how ending up in the NHS is not a good outcome. And is that, Karen, and this is sort of one of the things I was thinking really, is the NHS one of the big problems here in the sense that people in England like to deride America because of your private healthcare system and your pricey pharmaceuticals and you've got all the opioid epidemic and all this other stuff which we could do a whole podcast series on but the point i'm making is because we have this state-funded black hole of a thing called the nhs that changes the way that we provide care and does result in a huge amount of inefficiency which maybe you don't have in the states because it's privately funded I mean, it definitely creates a barrier here, but I think as it relates to the senior living sector, majority of these are private pay people anyway. So yeah, of course, they're going to go to hospital if they need to go to hospital, but even in the care home sector. But my point is they don't stay in hospital in the States because you do that, you end up with a massive great whopping bill, whereas here you don't. Karen, is it that the NHS is functioning as a backup plan for us? So we always know... (laughs) someone's going to have us covered. Whereas in the US, you have to make that active decision, sort yourself out. That's a really fair point. I mean, you do have to sort yourself out. Otherwise, you are going to be, again, paying massive fees. But I also think that, yeah, I guess the NHS is viewed more as a backup plan than it is necessarily you're planning for what is to come, your death or where you're going and your kind of health journey. No one knows that. But ultimately, like, if you know that you're going to be in hospital for a very long time, it is typically very expensive to do so. Hmm. So how should things be reformed here? And what do you think investors need to be thinking about as we head into a new cycle here? What are the opportunities for making this sector finally start to work? Because we've been talking about it for years. I mean, I think that I still, and this is again a US bias, which I've been saying since I've gotten here, and it's not just because Honor's sitting here, but I do think the rental model is going to become more prevalent here. And I think it is a way for one, investors to access the space, but also from a resident's perspective, at a certain age, there is such a value in renting over buying, as Honor, I think, has alluded to. I mean, if you're 82 years old, why are you buying a property at that point in time? It doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense when you factor in stamp duty, which can be a year's worth of rent, and also leaving it to your spouse or your family to then have to sell it is another burden on your family. So yeah. And I think over time, like there's been a mentality and this was, (laughs) I remember one of the first meetings I had when I came across the UK. So what about the rental model? And I think there were five other people around the table that looked at me like I had 15 heads. Like the excuse has always been the English mentality is my home is my castle. However, the dynamics in the US are the exact same way. You have the majority of the housing wealth that is sitting with the elderly population. I mean, the American dream was to buy a house with a white picket fence. It's the exact same thing. And Did your people, parents have a white picket? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have that lovely, lovely childhood, maybe. But it is, it's the same dynamics. People are selling their homes to fund their retirement. And it exists that the majority of the housing wealth sits with the elderly population. And it's no different here. It's just getting people to understand the 
benefits and merits of renting and what that means for them either financially, but also for kind of the long-term issues of having to sell on property. So again, I'm biased in that I have a kind of US perspective where that was the mainstream model, but I think it opens up a lot of liquidity in the space too, because there's lots of US investors that would love to do this in the UK. It's super undersupplied. It's at a very different point in its evolution in the UK, so it's kind of untapped, whereas every deal in the US is super competitive because there's so much capital chasing so that space. So with business plan should bring them to your door. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And Anna, what does the future look like for Birchgrave? So you've exited two schemes to M&G Real mm-hmm. Estate, Alex Greaves's PRS fund. You're on site with a current project at the minute? Oh yeah, we're on site with five. Alex has got the right first refusal on the next three because... I mean, as we've discussed... Possibly every- the best-looking gentleman in residential. <laughs> what do you think? Um, we should go for Alex Greaves or Richard Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> or should, where do you stand on no this, comment. Karen? Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Projects that you're on site with. Oh, yeah, we're on site with Lowe's. Alex got first option on Lowe's. We've got nine in total. So when you're in a sales meeting with a oldie, they will all say to you, well, yeah, but I don't want to live with old people. I mean, which makes total sense. None of us want to live in a ghetto. So our development in Mill Hill, coming out of the ground, PC next June, that is a C3 consent. Lower ground is massive, amazing multi So C3, just again, in plain English for people that Sorry, aren't planners. normal resi. That's what I would call it. Residential, as opposed to extra care housing, which is what I do. And then what C2. that means is that you have to provide affordable housing on it. It's part of a wider development. There's 500 homes and the affordable is somewhere else in the development. But the whole development has access to our gym. The whole development has access to our restaurant. So how do you make it work commercially if you're funding that? Let me just get to the point. Go on. This is the exciting bit. There's two floors in the middle there, nine-story building, where for a short time we're going to put in local business college students and NHS nurses. So right at the very beginning, that building is going to be full. You're going to walk in... And there's going to be young people transitioning through reception. You have people Why only for a short period? So those people can't pay as much as my people. So until I get cheaper money, I can't work out how to do intergenerational with the expensive money that I've got now. Okay, but because it's got a C3, do what you want consent on it, you can rent it to whoever you like. Yeah, six months. That's quite interesting. Isn't it? I think our oldies will feel like they're part of something. Just in terms of the product, though, how is the product different for older people in terms of just physically and supporting mobility needs? When you come into our developments, they look just like a lovely C3 development. There is nothing that screams, old people, disabled people. They're just really beautifully designed. Maybe the oven is actually set a little bit lower than you might have in your house. It's a wet room, so there's no lip on the shower. It's those tiny little details. It does not scream. Grab rails, you know, wide doors. It's a normal C3 development. But there are things like non-slip flooring, light sensors, those sorts of things, which would surely make sense in... Oh, yeah. So they're all in. They're just not screaming at you. So I will know that my tiles in the bathroom are non-slip but it doesn't scream old people it just looks like a beautifully tiled bathroom i think that is one thing when you bring a new investor into the sector around they're expecting a nursing home and i think when they walk around they say you know what i could live here and it's actually the truth because it looks exactly like a residential scheme maybe the corridors are slightly wider and so maybe you notice that maybe but what you're you need noticing- to do but once on has got this scheme up and there's some vacant space in it you need to bring over a dozen of your investors and let them have a weekend 
That's what I would They'd do. never leave because we've always got I a best share. I'd do that. I'd film it and whack it on Instagram and use it as a good marketing tool to investors. And we audience. actually spend quite a lot of time living in our own developments. So weirdly, through COVID, loads of people lived in, but all my development team live in one of our developments during the week. They lie there at night and they're listening to a rattling door or if someone flushes the loo while you're in the shower, if the water goes cold. You know, like, it's really interesting how when you live in your own developments, you get it and you suddenly realise who you're building for and what works and what doesn't. You tweak it every time. They get better and better. Final question, Karen. When's your baby due? Beginning of January. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm interested just before we finish on this question about supporting female execs in the industry and what your perspective is obviously you're still growing massively in your career you're already in a really senior role but you're going to have two young kids under four it's going to be quite a challenge how do you see yourself managing that and what do you think still needs to change not just in property but in the wider financial services sectors yeah i mean i think that i've been in a lucky position where i've had a boss who was very well aware that this was going to be when i joined savills two years ago peter allen who leads our operational capital markets business was very aware that i was of an age and looking to grow my family during that period of time so it was no surprise when i told him that i was pregnant. So I think it's difficult because not everyone has that situation. And so I think that it's one of those things that for me personally, I've been quite vocal about it and making sure that people know that you can be in a senior position and still have a family. And Savills has a lot of senior female execs. They do, yeah. And they have evolved their policies a lot to be in a position where, again, you're not kind of zeroing out the market of childbearing women. I think that's one of the biggest issues that we find in the broader job market is you have a lot of people that are worried to hire somebody in that age bracket. And I think at the end of the day, yes, it is a juggle, but I'm lucky enough, again, to be in a position where you have the flexibility to manage your day-to-day how you see fit. So I'm not chained to my desk from nine to five if I have to do things that, like drop my, my husband works full-time as well. So drop my daughter off, then I come in later or vice versa, I have to leave early and finish things later. I mean, you kind of manage your schedule effectively. It's not easy, but at the end of the day, I think it's something that I prioritize both having a family and having a career. And that's really important to me for my own daughter to see me doing that as well. And I'm having a second daughter and my mother always worked my entire life. And so I also had that as an example. And so I want them to see that you can have it all. You maybe can't have it all at the same time, but you can do it all. It's just a matter of managing it effectively. And the final question, Honor, is there a role for some of these developments in solving that problem? Could we be looking a bit more creatively at providing crash services where you've got older people that are retired, that have got time in their hands, but are physically still able to deal with young kids when they are. It's quite a physical thing. Mm. I don't naturally think that's the answer. Is it part of the answer? It just won't touch the sides. I think for me, the answer is you have to make male paternity benefits as good as women's. So there's no reason why you would discriminate against a woman. And there's no reason why Karen will be late for work because she's dropping a kid off every day. Her husband will share that. You have to make the men take the same benefits as the women. And then we're all in it together. Interesting place to leave it. Honor Barrett, thank you very much from Birch Grove. Karen Donoghue from Savills. Fascinating conversation. Really great to have you both on Propcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, you can find both the guests on LinkedIn and take Karen all your deals. And Birch Grove will be very excited to hear from any other funders or people with large schemes that want a progressive later living element to them. And I suspect there are lots of 
housing developments, lots of house builders with opportunities like that at the minute, probably going at a bit of a discount. Mm, I'll take them. Uh, well, uh, so for, thank you very much for coming. Excellent conversation. Lovely to have two new guests on podcast. You can subscribe. You can listen back to other episodes. We've had bosses of TFL, bosses of Grosvenor, lots of other people. We've had a great year of different people over the last 12 months. So do head back. Send us your comments, suggestions for guests. Send us any compliments any abuse you can subscribe on spotify on apple on amazon soundcloud wherever you get your podcasts from in america now as well just search propcast i've been andrew teacher i'm a senior advisor at monford thank you very much for listening we'll see you again very very soon take care